This is Bonjour Chai, the 119 to go edition. I'm Avi Fongold in Montreal, and I'm here with Alana Zakon in Toronto and David Sklar in Calgary. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, we mark our first birthday with some reflection on the past year and a conversation about the new establishment and what it says about the future of Jews in Canada. But first, Alana, David, happy birthday to us. Happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday to us. Who brought the cake? Uh, I did not. Oh. I mean, we're on a virtual platform, so we can just imagine a cake. Sure. Yeah, but but if there's cake, oh, yeah. I, there has to be real cake here. You know, I want to eat and enjoy and indulge in the sweetness that is Bonjour Chai. If we ordered a, a custom-shaped birthday cake for the Bonjour Chai first year anniversary, what would that, like, be? Could it be, the like, shape? chai-flavored? Because people always think it's Bonjour <laughs> Chai. <laughs> oh, that's true. There we go. Okay, that's step one. We got the flavor now. Um, yeah. Is it shaped like a microphone? Is it shaped like our heads? Our heads? Um, I don't know. It's like, like Stonehenge, you know but I mean? us? You mean Mount Rushmore? That's totally what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I speak and I regret it, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be cool to get a, a, a chai-flavored, sh- microphone-shaped cake. I'm, I'm down for it. Who wants, to, who wants to design it? Listeners, who wants to design our cake for us? Okay, well, hopefully somebody will. And uh, send us three exact replicas, one to Calgary, one to Toronto, and one to Montreal. Um, Except my, make mine gluten-free. Okay. How's it been for you guys for the past year? What are your what are your thoughts? Have you guys been thinking about this that like Well, David's been listening and then joined in. I've been I've been creeping and listening. Alana's yeah. been here since the beginning. I don't even know how it really came to be. Do you want to explain sort of how Bonjour High came to exist? Alana, how did you even find out about this this podcast in the first place? It was very out of nowhere actually. Um Avi knows some members of my family and one day I was living at Moisha House in Vancouver at the time, and my mom kept being like, you really should connect with this rabbi, Avi Feingold. I think he'd be like a great person to have on for a Zoom event. And we're finally doing that now. Um, and I was like, okay, okay. And she was like, no, you really need to call him. And then like a few weeks later, she was like, actually, he wants to talk to you about something. I don't know what it is. I gave him your email. I was like, okay. So your your mother your mother is the reason why you're here today. I guess so. Um, and then, uh, Avi and I had a chat and he was just like, I'm doing this thing and, uh, we want an arts person. Um, and then we got off the phone and I thought about it and it just seemed like a perfect fit. I was really in a place where I wanted to explore more of my thoughts around my Judaism and just generally there, there was a lot going on at that time, uh, with like anti-Semitism online and like my own personal growth um, and I wanted an outlet and it just felt like it came at the perfect time. So I I jumped on and had no idea what I was getting myself into. But here we are. I I just remember that I called you and I pitched you the idea because we, um, you were, you were, you were a, something that we fit that was like, oh, perfect. It's going to be, we want geographic diversity. We want somebody who's more in the arts. Um, we had all of these various pieces. And then Alana played it all cool. And like, clearly this is how she does it with like the gigs that she's not like desperate for. <laughs> and she's like, okay, that sounds interesting. I don't know how much time I have to devote to this. Can I call you back? Uh, let me think about it and I'll call you back in the next day or two. Um, and I was and like, yeah, like, sure, no problem. Five minutes later, she was like, oh, I thought about this. And I really like, I really got to do this. I was like, okay. I was very caught off guard. I was like, I don't want to say yes in this moment, even though I think I should. I need time to think about it. And then I just, you know, the penny dropped very soon after. <laughs> yeah. Um, it. I mean, we'll talk a bit more about this in the uh, main segment. But the, the genesis of Bonjour Chai was to say that there was no real voice for... Um, Jews in Canada that weren't necessarily fitting into the establishment or that there were a lot of stories of people that um, weren't being told. And uh, we wanted to tell those. And we just, uh, I thought that there was space for um, a Canadian Jewish conversation um, that would not necessarily uh, revolve around, uh, you know, official missives and press releases from big organizations and that we would have takes and that people have opinions. And uh, we wanted to give people a forum to have opinions. Um, and that's that's where we are now. And uh, are we a community uh, of listeners? Are we this or that? We've explored these questions um, in the past, and I'm sure we will explore more of those um, later today. David, I really want to hear about what it was like for you just coming along onto this ride. Oh, boy. 
Uh, well, well, I was always interested in finding sort of an outlet. Sometimes I feel like I'm screaming into my own void about Jewish issues here in Calgary, where there's not a big Jewish population. Um, and I had written for the CJN in the past once or twice. And when this opportunity presented itself, I, I sort of jumped on it. I, I, I was really intrigued by the idea and I wanted to get on. I do remember, I think our first interview that we had together, I remember fumbling around a bit where you were asking me some questions and I was like, oh boy, did I just ruin the interview? I think with one, one or two of the first questions and I was, I was like, oh no, I think I just blew it. Um, but luckily everything came together and I've, I've been really enjoying the ride for the past, what, four months now? How does it feel to be like a public voice? To be known. To be known. Um, I, I don't know how how well known I am at this point or anything, but it, it feels really great. It feels great to share our ideas and to listen to our listeners itself talk and hear their feedback. So I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm having a good time expressing myself and sharing my thoughts with you. If you want to feel known, you should just come to Toronto because I meet all the people who listen to our show all the time. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I feel I would be I would be betraying my my Calgary heritage at this point if I relocated to Toronto oh, and, and gave into the void. Just like come for a visit and go to like a Jewish event, and I guarantee you, there's going to be some people who are like, "Oh, David Sklar, yeah, I've heard of you." <laughs> well, I will be coming to Montreal for Passover, so I could always take a, a little dive on the Via Rail down to Toronto Ooh. at some point. Well, Alana, you you might be in Montreal around then as well, no? I I will be. Yeah, well, then- I might be. Yeah, we may have to record something out. and shoot promo shots together and uh, do all sorts of other stuff together um, in real life. Given that we have literally never met the three of us uh, in been in the same room at all. Well, I've met both of you, but we've not all been together. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I just said. That is all very true. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were saying that none of us have ever I know, the met. The three of us like, have that is never very met. Very factually incorrect. Yes, that's true. It's true. I don't know what Avi looks like from from face down. I didn't for a while either. It's still very surreal when we do see each other in real life. I'm like, you're not a floating head. Also, can I just throw this out there? When does it become the right time for us to start having our own swag? Oh, um, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think that uh, once we hit the X number of uh, of listeners on a regular weekly basis, then we'll know. What is the? I X? don't know. We have to figure that. That's to be determined. Um, and uh, and then we'll start, you know, giving out swag. If you join Frozen Chosen Slack channel, if you join our Patreon or whatever, we got to come up with like cool. Yeah, totally. I just oh, I just saw this. This is not my nachas, but I I was uh, going across somebody's Judaica stuff. You know, I always look for like crazy weird Judaica, and uh, somebody was selling a mug that says, uh, "I put the stud back into Torah study." Oh God, that's so bad. <laughs> and uh, we need some uh, we need some bonjour chai swag that is like, oh, equally nerdy. Our catchphrases. Yeah, for Stampede here, we used to have a button through the Jewish community that says, "I put the oi in cowboy." <laughs> And the problem is nobody got it. They're like, "What? Are you Australian?" Oh go, no, it's it's a Jewish thing. That's My sad. favorite was the uh, uh, one of the Jewish organizations that used to march in uh, Pride every year in Montreal. And this is like even twenty years ago before I left um, to go to the states for a while. Um, they used to have some of the best banners ever that like they had like one in every minion was like my favorite uh that was like the classic but then it was like you know i had to get out of the closet my mother needed the space <laughs> that's <laughs> but, good and uh, just, things like that you gotta come up with Bonjour well, merch. absolutely should. so i guess that if you're listening right now you should tell more of your friends to check out our show and then maybe we will get to the point where you can get um a mug or a shirt or something of the like yeah who wouldn't want that I do want to take a moment now. Uh, I know we usually uh, we do a, st- a standard uh, read of our, of our ad, but it is our first anniversary and other sponsors have since joined the Bonjour Chai family. But I really want to take a moment to uh, shout out and thank and acknowledge um, Atelier Lou for being a founding sponsor. Um, they, they really are a great uh, supporter of us and of the Jewish community in general. They have a great selection of jewelry if you just decide, hey, I need something beautiful in my life and you you should go to Atelier Lou, but you should also go because they are such a great uh, friend of Bonjour Chai, and uh, they are really our founding sponsor. Um, maybe they will make us uh, all matching uh, Bonjour Chai cufflinks. That would yes, be, I, uh, I really need uh, a pair uh, of no, cufflinks. Please do not do that <laughs> <laughs> for all of my I suits. No, I think a clean, crisp white shirt with cufflinks looks good on a you know it's it's a gender free sort of uh, sure. 
expression. Um, but yeah, thank you to, to Eric and the whole team at, at Atelier Lou for sponsoring us. You can go to atelierlou.com, get 10% off with code BON18 um, if you choose to do so and you should choose to do so because they are wonderful people and they deserve our support because they support us So here we are, one year into this little project, and we figured it would be a good time to take stock of what we set out to create, see whether it's doing what we intended, whether it morphed into something else, and to take a step back and ask some bigger picture questions. When this podcast was not much more than the seed of an idea germinating, taking shape in my mind, I saw it as a voice for stories and people who were not in the mainstream, Jews who were doing creative and important work, but who didn't see themselves represented in the narrative being presented by the established Jewish community, if you'll pardon my lack of a better term. I'd like to think that we have brought some of these stories to a wider audience, but I still constantly think about what our function is and whether a difference is being made or whether we're just filling your ears while you wash the dishes. One thing is certain though, and that is that the Canadian Jewish community is both in a period of change and that that change is incredibly difficult for a host of reasons. So here to help us reflect on these questions are two people who are also creating communities and shaping this new establishment, Rabbi Yossi Saberman and Orly Zabak. Rabbi Yossi is a longtime public rabbi who left Congregation Beth Torah to found Living Jewishly, a a new initiative based out of Toronto that seeks to make Jewish ideas relevant to a contemporary audience. And Orly is an artist and multidisciplinary creator who co-founded Neve Magazine, an online publication focusing on Jewish culture and creative work in Canada and abroad. So Orly, can you start by telling us a bit of the Neve origin story and what you felt was missing in the Canadian Jewish landscape? Yeah, so I think it started probably right on the onset of the pandemic when the Canadian Jewish news had closed for a very short period of time. But Clary had uh, just sent me a text and I was saying, well, it's really sad because it is the only, it is the, it was the, it is the biggest public Jewish publication in Canada. And I said, that's really sad. But also me as a reader, I never was interested in reading the Canadian Jewish News. I probably shouldn't say that because I'm on the podcast. Well, I hope you are now because it's changed a lot. <laughs> no, please. That's we can exactly talk about that what after. we want. Yeah. And, then I, and then both Claire and I come from a, a background, like a writing background, and we have previously talked about uh, just in class and just like hanging out uh, what we felt was missing in the community and like why we didn't feel... Uh, that we were reflected or our ideas were reflected in uh, the Jewish community or um, or feeling that like inclusivity within certain spaces. Uh, and so then we just said, well, why don't we do something in like this space has opened up, but put our spin on it. And obviously like we are just focusing on culture and it's quite small uh, at the moment still. But yeah, but we we said, what can we bring to the table? And then that's how it started growing. If I can ask a, a quick question, because I, I also want to hear about Yossi, you talked about feeling like your ideas weren't welcome in certain spaces. What types of ideas? Can you give us a few examples? I don't know if it's anything particularly like specific. I think there's just a sense that maybe your voice isn't necessarily uh, being heard or there was like a willingness to hear like a certain perspective. Rabbi Yassi, right? So you left an established pulpit career uh, to start a new organization, right? There's got to be a story there. Um, can you share it and uh, why you chose um, to do this? So a few years before I actually left, uh, I had thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting bored. I feel somewhat like a bingo caller. Um, Enkelohenu in the blue, Adon Olam in the red, and I felt I really was getting tiring. And <clears throat> to be honest, that I was about 15, 16 years into the pulpit, plus work I had done before. And it was really successful, but very tiring and draining. And uh, the work itself is, is challenging. So I got to a point where I went to my... I uh, I'm a former pulpit rabbi, married you know. to a, for, yeah, to a you, current you, pulpit you know, rabbi. I don't have to tell you about the loneliness <laughs> and, the, uh, and the challenge and... Uh, so I had this opportunity to start something that I felt 
was not only something interesting for me and keep keep me from absolute boredom, um, and it also answered many of the questions I'd been having, having learned over 20 plus years, what I felt was missing in the community. And I realized that there was a space for a Jewish community that is not directly political or religious. And ironically, the Judaism that I feel I'm most connected to, while its practice may be part of what people call religion, is in fact really an expression of our of our of our humanity and an expression of the great values of the Torah and Judaism. So I come up with this idea called living Jewishly because it really talks to the question of not who is a Jew or not what is a Jew, but how to be a Jew. And I don't mean how in terms of you know the the shallow perspective of whether you support this or you support that or or you know whether you dress like this or dress like that or daven like this or daven like that. We're talking about the real fundamental essence, which has to answer the question at the end of the day: If I'm going to fight against anti-Semitism, if I'm going to fight for Israel, if I'm going to fight for a just liberal Israel, if I'm going to fight to end hatred, and if I'm going to fight for for um, diversity and LGBTQ rights. Yes, that fight has to lead us back to a place where we say, that is about my Judaism. That The fight itself cannot be Judaism. And I feel that a lot of young people, especially this is what, what I've been doing, thousands of B'nai Mitzvah have come through you know, my pulpit. I've listened to every one of them. I've done a survey for about, uh, it's got to be 15 years of B'nai Mitzvahs asking the same 20 questions to 15 years of kids. And what I discovered was that many Jewish kids do not understand what a denomination is. They do not understand really the impact of the Holocaust other than if their family was in it. They don't really understand what Israel is supposed to represent in their Canadian liberal view. They don't really get it. And I'm afraid that the patches that we put on after their B'nai Mitzvah and later on in their, in their years where we try to get them involved in you know, the, the, the sense of belonging through those issues is really turning people off and certainly emptying out our synagogues. And that for me became a point of where if I could, as I always say, if I, I want to teach people to, 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 to build a huge boat so we can cross the ocean, but I know that if I give people jobs by telling them what to do, it's not going to work. So I'd rather teach them to long for the immensity of the sea and they'll get the boat built. We're missing the immensity of the sea. The narrative of the beauty of being Jewish, of living Jewish, is missing. So many people are missing the fundamentals of Shabbat and candle lighting and Kiddush and Hamotzi and just the, the all these beautiful, brilliant rituals and the challenges, but the text of Torah and the, the messages that are so modern are often being ignored, A, because politically it's not expedient to focus on Jewish teaching. There isn't enough fundraising capacity in you know, making people love Judaism. Fear always works. The, the, sh the shame always works. And frankly, our communities are built with great institutions that fight these challenges, but we don't need another one. And I don't want to be in that space. I want to be in the space of teaching people to long for the immensity of the sea. So that's what Living Jewishly's goal was. And that's why I left, because I feel that um, and it's something Orly touched on earlier. It's not specifically what I am doing. It's what I couldn't do in an environment where the expectation is nostalgia, emotion, the way we always did it. It's always been this way. We don't reject you. We just don't understand you. Why would you want to change? What was wrong with reading 45 minutes of Torah every week while people fell asleep? What was wrong with having a Musaf that, that, that went on for an hour and a half? I like cantorial music. Why, doesn't, why don't kids come and listen to this? They would love it. Never going to happen. And we are now at a time where there's a, a bifurcation, literally, of Jewish history, where the past is truly becoming the past, and the future right now is entirely unknown. And I believe that this is the moment that anyone who wants to act in changing Jewish life, this is the moment to step up and do it. So that's my short, short answer. Very short. Um, 
who are the people, right? Start with Orly, right? Who are the people that are basically creating the community around Neve and then eventually around like living Jewishly? Um, who are these people that weren't finding something else beforehand? I don't think we have solely like perhaps a millennial based audience or even uh, contributors. We have people that span age ranges from plus 70 to, I mean, people my age, which is like 27 and younger as well. I think what they find is perhaps more of like, there's more of an experimentation going on that people can do, I think, at Neve with how they write, with the forms, with the, like, with the craft of writing, but also showing their artwork. So it's, we offer like a different range of categories that perhaps wouldn't be, not perhaps, but that isn't offered in a lot of publications. Are, are, are these people that are reading art magazines elsewhere or Jewish publications, but they, they, they haven't found Jewish culture, you know, put the same way you have? Or are they people that really wouldn't have otherwise thought about Jewish culture, um, but they're coming to you? I think they have thought about Jewish culture and perhaps they haven't found, they have, no, I would say that I think everyone who comes to read Neve or who wants to contribute has always been curious about Jewish culture or have already been part of facilitating Jewish environments around them in some way. But I think we offer a way to do it that feels warm and like a safe place to explore whatever they want to do. And we're also, obviously we publish a lot of pieces by, by people in the queer community. We don't, which I think for like, well, you know what? I wouldn't say for a long time because Lilith does really great work as well, Lilith Magazine. But I would say that we let people say what they want to say, obviously while being respectful, but we, we give people the platform to be who they want to be and express themselves in the way they want to express themselves. Ribiasi, um, are people leaving shuls to come to your programming or um, are these people that are clearly did not see something in the establishment synagogue life and they're saying, but I still want to do something real and Jewish and so I'm going to come to Living Jewishly? Uh, I don't know if it's that clear. So I didn't set up a new synagogue yet uh, specifically. I did. I broadcast the High Holidays. I had about Twelve to 16,000 viewers across Canada. Um, I, I think that people are interested in what, what we're doing because we do things in a creative way. I haven't really, I don't feel that I've really launched the full creativity that's possible. Um, I, I know that people have left uh, Beth Torah. I know that, you know, anytime a synagogue goes through transitions, people leave, especially if people are connected to the previous rabbi and they're still available. I've had many connections. I'm doing more B'nai Mitzvah now than ever and so on. But uh, I'm not really tracking the number of people who leave. What I'm really interested are people who have been probably disconnected from shul for a very long time. And those are the great victories. If, if we can create an environment where people feel empowered to come back. But I also have to say, they're not coming back to anything that is familiar. And in the future, and probably shortly, I'll be announcing the launch of something uh, extraordinary, um, a new a new type of congregation or community, um, which will include some of the framework that you'd normally find in a synagogue. But uh, kind of like Orly, I'm willing to experiment and willing to try all kinds of new things. And in fact, um, I know this might sound silly to. Don't to you some. want to announce it on this show right now? Sure, I'm happy to announce it on the show. I mean, uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're just deciding what day of the week we're going to observe Shabbat, and then then we'll. No, just kidding. Uh, well, you know, as what says pulpit rabbis, you know that the midweek is really where it's at, and my wife calls herself a Wednesday Adventist. Yeah, but Avi, right? Golf is free on Wednesday. We're not doing shul on Wednesday. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Why don't you do golf? Why don't you show at golf, right? That would get a lot of people there. Actually, I was th I thought about that, but golf is so holy, we pronounce it G dot L F, just so you know. Mm -hmm. um, the, 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 the I, I, I may, I may announce it. Let me, I'm just going to think about that for a minute. But what I, I am going to do, um, and, and it kind of reminds me of what Orly's up to as well in the, in the arts and creative side. Every, every major sort of thread of life, cultural, religious, has a lot of people who who know enough to know that you're wrong 
and they have enough to know that this doesn't belong here. This is not what we do. And, and, and the conventions that we developed come out of thousands of years of tradition, and maybe that means that they're right and I'm wrong. That's fine with me. But I do believe that people are voting with their feet, and in order to do that, I'm intending to ask people to come back with me to the mountain. Let's go back to day one, when we all heard the ideas together. Now, what do they really mean to us? Do they devolve into a series of black and white letters in a book that makes our lives feel enslaved? Or do they give us the freedom to be the best human being possible? There are times in Jewish life where we've taken the wrong turn, and somehow shuls have ended up in a place that is no longer speaking to young people. So the goal is to say, yes, we are, we are a new denomination. I don't like denominations because I feel that it splits us and I feel that we don't need the, the division. But there is a new denomination and that's the one I intend to, uh, to work in and that's called Jewish. So the Jewish denomination, I think, is where we all belong automatically. If you're part of the Jewish people, you're part of this denomination. This is a very good start for the idea, especially for a generation that has learned to, to, to be unified and work together. It's a sad thing when you have to decide who your God is when you barely have any understanding of, of the relationship of the Jewish people to God. I found over 25 years, most people could not describe their denomination accurately. They don't know the nuances or the differences between the various types of being Jewish. Uh, they may know one is right and one is wrong, but they, they really don't. So anyhow, the first thing I will tell you is we are doing a um, new denomination called Jewish, and we're going to work on living Jewishly. We built a school called School of Living Jewishly, which is an online project to teach people how to bring the, that Judaism into their home. We're adding content. We have podcasting. I'm doing an alternative set of videos for Purim. We're trying to turn Wait, things Are you around. competing with us? No, 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 no. You gotta no. get off the show. No, no I'm kidding. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll promote you if you want. Um, awesome. We, we can put you guys in, in one of our skits. Um, you know, Haman reading the CJN to Mordechai kind of thing. Um, the the interesting thing, though, is is that we are not reinventing the wheel. I mean, we're, we have, I have no intention of doing that. What I intend to do is say, what is all the stuff we do to bring community together and how can we do that better? And that is really the challenge because, you know, there's a lot of sentimentality around what we used to do. So we're going to try to make it relevant and meaningful. And I think you should watch my space to see what is possible when you come from an ultra-Orthodox Lakewood background and you grow up from and you that leave. That makes two of us. That, there, that's exactly the point. You leave home and you figure it out and you stay. And like Warren Buffett says, I don't always love the stock, but I love the business. The Jewish people are the place I want to work in. And guess what? I want to work with all of them, not just with some. So the future looks like some kind of congregational, some kind of life cycle, but mostly about empowering people to take their Judaism back from day one, you know, before the commentary, so to speak. Orly, I am so curious to see how that lands with you. What is your Jewish life look like in that capacity? Do you go to a synagogue in town? Do you feel like there are organizations that you f resonate with on some level? Or do you feel exactly as Yossi just described? Are, are you converted to like Yossi's brand of Judaism as a denomination just after that Abby, speech? don't change the question. Before. <laughs> For Let sure. her answer yeah, no, my question It's the same first. question. <laughs> so, did that inspire? Anyways, I go ahead, please. I say that... <laughs> I have not been to shul unless it's been for like a funeral or a wedding or a bris for for like at least like 12 or 13 years. But that's just for, I, don't, I just don't go to shul. Is that like a person, did you grow up going to synagogue regularly or is this always, you, you were never so that I, involved? Just to get yeah, some context. I used to go maybe just for the high holidays, probably for like a couple of years. And then okay. I just didn't go... Yeah, I just didn't go. And 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 why why do you not feel like that's a space you want to be in? What's pushing you away or making you uh, disinterested? I don't think it's whether I'm disinterested or it's a space that I think about being or not being in. It's just something that I don't I don't think I think about it often. For me, going to shul doesn't equate to the level of like my observance or to my Jewishness or you know, like I find that I, for me personally, I get the same amount of, maybe I should say I don't feel any guilt if I'm spending the high holidays at home 
rather than going to shul. And I feel like, you know, I get the same kind of, um, I don't know if invigoration is the right word, but I get the same sense of uh, feeling mm-hmm. part of the community by doing like Shabbat dinners or right doing other things than within a, a synagogue. I, I mean, I could end up getting a membership to a synagogue one day. I don't know where that will be, but it's not really on my mind. But I do have to say that I go to the Torah studio classes, um, which is based in Los Angeles. What are those? I've never heard of that. Can you tell us a bit about it? Oh, yeah. So the Torah studio was founded by Liana Wartman in Los Angeles, and she holds classes uh, every week. So there's three different types of classes currently going on by three different teachers and she teaches a weekly Torah class where you read a section of the Parsha and essentially you're analyzing the text and taking different interpretations of it with Herutas and you're allowed to ask questions and think about God and what is going on in like Exodus for example in a malleable kind of way where you're able to think about it not as like this is a text and let's follow it but look at this text and see how can it apply to us today. But also, let's question about what. what, what let's question about what was happening back then as well. Cool. Really cool. If I can ask a follow up that's related, um, one of the senses that I personally get, uh, I'm not going to put it in other people's minds, um, is that a lot of the disinterest um, and this point where we're at, where you're not, people don't even feel guilty about not coming to the high holidays, is because of this like big establishment Judaism that exists and is very monolithic in Canada, whether it's federations, whether it's large synagogues, whether it's organizations that monopolize a lot of the dialogue and the discussion and the stories, the way I mentioned it at the top. Does that resonate with you at all? Do you feel like this was not a Judaism that I wanted because it's so, you know, big and glossy and you wanted to do something which is clearly smaller, more online, um, that speaks to you and that often doesn't come from a lot of these large establishments? I've never actually thought about it in that way because I don't it's never really affected me in that sense of thinking about a synagogue or shuls as an establishment that I don't want to what about beyond shuls though like in terms of like a JCC or other establishments that aren't necessarily synagogue based like do you feel connected to those at all or is that something that feels like Avi said like too glossy I don't think it feels I mean I grew up I I like went to a primarily I went to Westmount, which is a public high school, but it is a largely, it's in Thornhill. I mean, it's feels like everyone is just Jewish in that, was Jewish in that high school, say for like, maybe like, it felt like 90% of everyone was Jewish. I went to Jewish day camp. I went to Jewish summer camp for one year. I unfortunately was not like a huge fan and it makes me even sad thinking about that. <laughs> but, uh, but so I've never felt like I wasn't able to access the wider Jewish establishment or, or what have like, I, or, or what you're describing. I don't know. I just like was never going to the JCC. I don't know. I don't like, I don't know. It just was not part of part of my life, perhaps because I was surrounded by a lot of Jewish people growing up that I didn't feel the need to go to the, to JCC, or I would say like Hillel at some points too. Yassi. So the, um, what you're doing though is, big and glossy, but still very anti-establishment, right? Is there... It's, it's, or, yeah, I wouldn't say anti. I'd say yeah, post-establishment, really, you know. It's... it's, it's meaning you're not specifically uh, against um, these no. organizations. You're just saying they don't speak to a lot of people. I want to do something that speaks to the people that it, that are not there. Okay, so to modify that, Avi, I, they, don't speak Please, to, yeah. they don't speak to the people about certain things that are probably not their mandate, like about what is fun, what, what is deeply Jewish about our history and our traditions and so on. Um, but the, a community that is healthy, and that we hope to be part of that, depends on all aspects of the community, whether they be ultra-observant or they be ultra-liberal or, or they be focused on anti-Semitism or, or they be focused on, on mental health. No institution can do everything for everybody. So we really have to, from day one, establish the principle that we do rely everybody on each other. So it's not anti-establishment. What it is, it's it's recreating a, a boutique model 
of, of synagogue life in which a rabbi, and this you would know really well, uh, a rabbi needs to know how many people they can really give their heart and soul to, because that's ultimately what you have to do. And you have to build a community around you that you can support, that can support you. It's a two-way street. Uh, the days in which clergy are parachuted in and have to accept the, the slings and arrows of everybody that's a, that pays membership is no longer acceptable. You can't take the brightest and most creative minds of our time and stick them in front of a board who basically has their own opinion about absolutely everything a rabbi does. Either you hire a leader or, you know, hire a manual. Don't hire, don't hire a human being and then, uh, and then tell them exactly what to do. Let them lead. So having said that, uh, what is what is probably counter-establishment is the idea that we've progressed to the point where we're young people. Like, you know, what, what happens is generations get older and they tend to believe that what they know already is not worth transmitting to the next generation because it's so simple. And now we're on to more sophisticated Judaism. And if we are really honest with ourselves, we're part of a trajectory that starts with before the Holocaust, the breakage, the, the breakage of the vessel, so to speak, of the Holocaust, the founding of the State of Israel, the end of the survivor generation, the, disso the, the dissolving of the nuance of, of, uh, of denominational Judaism, the challenge between liberal and, uh, and non-liberal Judaism and politics in general. So now we have a new generation for whom we have no answers, really. Well, we want to well, live... A even more than that, right? We... We are a, a product of a generation that maybe not you and me, but many, many people who did not, who went to shul and went to Jewish day school, but chose not to do that for their children, went and said, I'm going to shul, but you don't have to because, you know, for whatever reason, you can, you can sleep in Saturday morning. You don't have to go to shul. You don't have to be there for the full three hours. And uh, you don't have to go to day school because I'm afraid that you might not get into U of T uh, med school. And that's it. And then we're wondering, why is it that the generation that is now um, is struggling to articulate what their Judaism actually is or why they want to come to shul? Yeah, so Avi, this reminds me of, of a statement I heard many, many years ago, which was Jewish unity is too important to be left to the rabbis, right? Um, and then I thought to myself, you know, Judaism is too important to be left to synagogues. The truth is Jewish life has to be brought back home. And in order for Jewish life to be brought back home, people have to feel empowered. I always feel like my role is not to give you a cell phone and tell you who to dial and what apps to use. My job is to help you charge that cell phone so you can do what you need to do in your life. I, you know, I think part of it, is, of, of it is, as a synagogue, we need to look at what our mandates really are. Are we really going to be bingo for, for, for um, our elderly community? There are hundreds of organizations that have grown up around our population in the last 50 years that do so many of the things. Synagogues, do they need massive buildings? Are we a, are we a cathedral um, organization where the bigger we are, the better, the more powerful? The answer is absolutely not. Smaller, more focused, more intimate, and more caring. And there's no doubt in my mind that what young people seek more than anything is meaning and relevance and intentionality. And as so long as synagogues insist on being performative and being, you know, uh, listen to the cantor, listen to the rabbi, listen to the Torah, listen to the speaker, watch what's going on. People will, will vote with their feet and they'll have absolutely no reason to belong there. But the moment we start to have them feel that they're connected, they're part of it, it's theirs, it's intimate, it belongs to them. There's a take home, something that changes their lives and something that is done through alternative methods. I hired uh, Rabbi Bluth, Rachel Rosenbluth, a young Orthodox ordained woman who's very, very, very connected to Eastern mysticism and Jewish teachings. And she's an, she's leading the field in creating connections for us that are extraordinary. Dr. Elliot Malamud, some of you may know him. He used to teach a chat. He's brilliant. The way he synthesizes the world between the modern and the traditional, even though he and I disagree all the time, we actually named our, our pretend um, podcast Yelliot because Yossi and Elliot yell at each other all the time. But the reality is, is that we're bringing together people who don't agree with each other. We don't agree all the time, but that is why we want to be together. And I think this this idea of, of uh, anti-establishment is really... It's really anti-establishment means I'm anti the way we've become complacent with imagining that somehow by just doing what we've always done, it's going to succeed. I've seen it for many years. I've made tweaks and made changes and it's been successful. And I believe the Jewish community deserves synagogue life that speaks to them and 
offers this promise, Avi. I think you mentioned something earlier about it. This is the promise. When a child has their bar bat mitzvah, I want them to think to themselves, I love this so much, I want my child to do the same thing. As opposed to what I've heard for so many years, you know, I hated my bar mitzvah. My, my tutor smelled like tuna fish. I used to go to a dark basement to oh, study. You went to that one too? No, no, no but it was, <laughs> no, it was sardines, Avi. Um, and, and we want... We want that experience to be almost DNA-like, where the next generation says, I'm not going because I feel bad. I'm not going because my parents go. I'm not going because I'm guilty. I'm going because it turned my parents' lives around, and I want to have a sense of that. And that's our job. That's our duty. Yeah, I, I want to pipe in a bit with my own personal experience, which I'm curious to hear how it doesn't resonate or does resonate in, in certain capacities. Is I, I'm a, around your age, Orly. I'm 28. And I grew up in in a modern Orthodox household, but in a community that was very secular uh, in Dollard Desarmo in Montreal. And I did go through like the whole system with the schools and the camps and everything. And I have to say, when I got to a certain age, um, after I finished high school and went into CJEP into a theater program, I kind of felt like I had never fit into a lot of the circles that I'd grown up in because they were, as Avi put it, so shiny and so mainstream that myself as an artist, I didn't really feel like I had a voice in those communities and it was very overshadowed by a very mainstream mentality. But then the the weird dichotomy is that I feel most comfortable in a modern Orthodox setting. So there was a period of about 10 years where I really wasn't very involved. And I did probably the, you know, the holidays and I did go to synagogue for high holidays, but I wasn't actively engaged in a Jewish community really in, in any capacity other than my own family until about a few years ago. And since moving to Toronto, what I've been finding is that there's a lot more options here than where I grew up. Because in Montreal, it seems like the denominations are very specific. It's either you're just Orthodox or just conservative or just reform. And here it seems like there's more blends in Toronto. And I attend the Toronto Partnership Minion. And, and talking about like, Avi, you mentioned before that Orly was connecting to like this, the niche community in LA. And that's kind of how I feel when I go to TPM is that it has the roots of what I'm used to with a modern Orthodox um, setting, but it's been modified to be egalitarian. And it's a lot, it has like a grassroots feeling. The people that go are more like my brand of human. Um, and I think that's, maybe a, a thing that makes me very different than a lot of people my age who didn't necessarily grow up with it in the home. And I think that's what actually made me kind of come back is that I was brought up with such strong Jewish values. And after some time, I looked back on my childhood and I thought, you know what, I was resentful for some time for being brought up in a very mainstream bubble. But you know what, at the end of the day, that actually is my foundation. And it it did bring me back. Um, so I, I do see the value in it, but I do think that there needs to be more space for these niche communities and in, in other places in Canada and probably in the world. So I, I don't know if that uh, speaks to you at all, because I know, Yossi, you're, you grew up ultra-Orthodox, right? Yeah. And, but now you're, the, the, the synagogue that you were working at, Beth Torah, was a conservative synagogue. Is that right? Yeah, mostly unaffiliated until the last few years, but I, I right. would say we're... The better description would have been orthodox, would have been conservative okay. style, right? Because sure. there were things that we yeah. did that were, yeah. It was it was con Canadian conservative Judaism. Canadian, no. Right. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was for the left of Canadian conservative Judaism in, in, in many ways. And, and yeah. now, now I feel like I, I, I'm not bounded by those rules and I intend to make sure. the changes I've always wanted to. Yeah, I think the point that I'm just trying to make is that what I found, I lived in Vancouver for a few years before moving to Toronto, and I did check out other denominations that were trying to be more engaging, but they just didn't resonate with me because I'm used to being in a specific context of Judaism. So how do we make more space for people who like the brand, but they don't like the the product? So, I mean, part of this I learned uh, studying at Hartman Institute is they have a policy that there's no prayer at Hartman. And one of the reasons there's no prayer is because prayer is a thing that is hardest to agree on how to do it. Um, if you don't pray, then you can all learn together. It may be time for synagogues to actually ask themselves, how did we develop this product line? How did we develop the product line that includes X amount of prayer, this style, this thing? How did we get there? 
I think it's time to look at all of it. I think, in fact, prayer in my in my world should be either singing or meditative. There should be no blah, 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 none. There should be no kowtowing to people who come late or don't read, which is ancient by doing repetitions. There's no time for that. People are coming to learn and be inspired. And I, I haven't met that many people who are inspired by listening to long repetitions of anything. Singing, yes, that's a different story. But I even intend to introduce new style of singing. And I intend to mm. use, use um, uh, you know, the space that we're in as more than just a, a, a synagogue. It always bothered me when people would tell me that the most important thing that a synagogue does is Shabbat services. And I used to say, no, that's the most important program. Because ultimately, it's a program. It's one of the things that bring a Jewish community together. You can't think of yourself as a, as a, as a community that is all about religion or prayer. You have to be a community. And a community in many can speak to many different types of people if it has offerings that are similar conceptually, but also allow for other spaces. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that North American or Canadian Judaism is, is playing with a very limited um, playlist of styles and uh, the states there's more of it and around the world and I take my inspiration I got to be honest I take my inspiration from gospel church I take my inspiration from the, the Baptist style from the grapevine style of church I'd have no issue whatsoever bringing music back properly I think a lot of the restrictions we've put on ourselves have basically turned us into institutions that you have to buy into first before you can walk in there and really appreciate it and we have to find a way to ask people to come in and share with them, share with us what's important to them. So if you want to know, um, Avi, thanks for asking about what the future holds. Uh, the future holds for sure um, a little bit of out with the old, um, in with the older. You know, I'm looking to, it's kind of Anabaptist. I want to go back to pre-Sinai and see what, what, what did the Jewish people think of themselves then when they were just the real people all together standing around that mountain? What would they have wanted Shul to be like? What, what would they really want? Sounds like they wanted knowledge. They wanted learning and they wanted a sense of togetherness and meaning and, um, and leadership. And that's what I think has to happen. I, I mean, part of what I want to do orally, just so you know, is I want to have the ability for people to walk through to a synagogue service and walk through a gallery so they can be inspired by artwork. Because I think that that frames the mind a lot better than words on a page sometimes. Yeah, I think it's how can you make Judaism ex feel accessible to people who are not, who maybe are not interested or only or who have only been accustomed to thinking that Judaism can be digested in one way. And I also wanted to talk, I was thinking about what Alana said about niche versus mainstream. The language that we're using, I, I have no solution for it because, I, because you can't be blind to the fact that there are different markets, essentially. There's like the mainstream market and a niche market. But I do think that language is in, is in and of itself perhaps dangerous to use or works against what everyone is trying to accomplish. Not everything is going to be for everyone, but by saying, I feel like I can only exist in this niche section of the Jewish world, you're already placing yourself at some sort of disadvantage or in placing yourself on the outside. Right. I mean, I, I am engaged with a larger community too um, at this point in my life, but I hear, I hear you in a general sense. Yeah, I'm just talking generally. It's, it's a lot of, I think it, it reminds me of the conversations that people were having also about imposter syndrome and how using that term can actually not be so helpful because you're engaging yourself constantly through this filter of thinking of yourself in one way where really you shouldn't really be filtering your whatever actions you're doing through this lens yeah elena i want to go back to your thought about um how being within your community makes you comfortable in that in that you uh, i you know having grown up in, in 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 the world i did if someone were to say to me what would be your ideal high holiday experience Believe it or not, um, my ideal high holiday experience would be to probably put a talus over my head and go sit in the middle of 
the Lakewood Bait Midrash and or Bass Medrash in Lakewood and let the music of my youth wash over me and feel and, and, and speak to no one and just think for a day straight or two days straight, just give myself time off surrounded by the music that allows me to think, right? I've never experienced that you know, being a pulpit rabbi, that's, uh, there's two things you never get. You never get a holiday and you never get Shabbat, right? Shabbat disappears for rabbis. And that's part of it also, is people have to give Shabbat back to their leaders. But I, I also am trying to think, could we perhaps do less in shul, so to speak, you know, using shul lightly, do less in shul so more people are comfortable with what goes on there? If you become very specific about how you engage and what you do, whether the mechitzah is open or the mechitzah is closed, and to many people, the concept of a minion isn't even understandable. I mean, we have to start speaking in the language of humanity, which is, you know, togetherness, non-segregation. But I am also going to say, to, to Orly's point, niche and mainstream. The thing about Judaism, it's never never was designed to be mainstream. Judaism is fundamentally something that is meant to be individualistic, and in my in my view, and I've taught this or at the very or at the very least small communities. Small communities, correct, Abby. In, in, in my view, religion's job and religion's purpose is not to tell us what to do, but to bring good people together to do good things. That is, we're we're the convener. And as long as we do that, we'll be successful. But the moment we start, you know, segregating and mainstreaming and niching and whatever, then we're missing out on a lot of good people. There are a lot of good people who don't go to shul, and I use that both practically and metaphorically. They don't go to shul means they don't have a connection point. They don't have a community that they feel they belong to. We need to reestablish that, even if it's small groups, even if it's a chabura, even if it is a minion. The reality is people need to start to feel connected to something because those small groups build into bigger groups and give us all a sense of comfort. This is the genius of Judaism is that an individualistic faith can actually create, deliberately create niches, which can all have a common purpose. And that's what I, I, I hold very sacred. Yeah, um, I want to wrap it up with one very quick question. It's like super lightning round, doesn't have to be a, uh, you know, and I'll ask it to both of you. I'll start with Yossi. What's on your wish list of things that um, need to happen for Canadian Jews uh, to thrive in the future? What's the the program, the project, the uh, what type of thing or whether it's the, you know, the item, uh, kosher, you know, poutine that's made with lab-grown beef or, you know, what's, what's the one thing that you think that we need um, for Canadian jewelry uh, to thrive in the future? I want um, federations to fund nascent congregations. I want the funding that they give to Israel and the funding that they give to local communities to be um, just as significant. I want to see an effort to recreate Jewish life with not, by not creating religious institutions, but by creating communal institutions that are formed to express our collective Judaism, not politics or and, and not just politics or crisis. Orly? I would say that I think we just need more. We need more voices. We need more, more ways to engage different perspectives and communities. And I think also employing the tools at our disposals. That may not be for everyone. I mean, I think social media plays such a huge role in how we connect to even religion now. And I, I, I think employing those tools or finding a way to would be really helpful. I don't know. I'm thinking about, I'm imagining myself and I'm like, I would never make a TikTok video, but that's not for me to do. That's for someone else to do, to create like a world of TikTok where maybe that's how people attend service. Dafiomi, but on TikTok? How awesome would that be? Could somebody imagine that? Anyways, Orly, uh, Rabbi Yossi, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, for giving your insights. And uh, I hope we'll have a chance to see more of what you guys are doing in the future. Uh, you can find links to A Living Jewishly and to Neve Magazine in the show notes, and you can email us at bonjour at the cjn.ca to let us know uh, what you thought about today's conversation.
So for our word of wisdom this week, I figured uh, we take a look at the Parsha again. And uh, this week's Torah portion is Parshat Pikudei, and it is uh, the end of the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus. Uh, It continues from where we left off last week, which was the completion of the tabernacle. And now the tabernacle actually gets completed. And it uh, is completed on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is just about a year after they leave uh, Egypt. So I thought it was really appropriate to think of, to reflect on that, um, where it takes a year to really get the building completed. And then that's when the work starts to happen. So that's really, to begin with, that's a message, I think, for us to be able to say, you know, we have launched this thing, we took a year, we've built it, it's now has a solid foundation, and we have a great community. And, uh, but now is when the work, you know, happens. I just feel that, that that that's all we're doing with with the um, sections of the Torah. We're just waiting. We're building. We're gonna wander in the desert for forty years, Avi. We've just completed this. What's what's going on with all this waiting and completion stuff? Ooh, good question. And that's an amazing segue to something that I wasn't going to talk about, but I uh, I heard actually a really interesting piece of Torah yesterday. Uh, I was in a session with uh, Shalom Hartman Institute of North America, which has now a new Canadian division. And uh, Alana Steinhain, who is a wonderful scholar in the U.S., uh, was pointing out that there is a Judaism of being and a Judaism of becoming. And I don't want to get into all the sources here, but I think that there's, you know, it's, it's one thing to be Jewish, and then it's something else to do Jewish and to constantly be becoming Jewish and, and constantly knowing that it, Judaism is a work in progress. And I think that what you're asking really points to that, that the Torah never has this sense of completion, even though this is the end of Shemot, right? The, we, we say this chazak, chazak, venit chazek, right? This, you should be strong. And we, we go on to these different books and we, we continue reading it, but, but it's cyclical and it's circular. And we're, we're always in the process of becoming. And that is one of the most remarkable things um, in the Torah is that we are, uh, we're finished, but the work begins, and we the work begins in the in the desert. But then the work begins afterwards in Israel itself, and then you're in the diaspora, and then the work begins there. And there's always work to be done. And I think that that's a profound lesson. And there's nothing wrong with no, saying that it is completed and we have to stop. Right? We have that on Shabbat every seven days. But the big picture work of Judaism never really ends and we have to, um, you know, continually be doing and the working and the being. So it's 4,000 years of being and working until we and actually becoming. achieve it. What is, what is, of becoming, what is the end goal? When do we find, when, when, when have we finally become? I don't think we ever do. I think that we are always in this process. We have to recognize that there is no perfection, that there is always something that we can fix and we can always move forward on. Um, yeah. The thing that I like to reflect on more, though, in, in this week's portion is that there's this moment when they clearly completed the Torah, uh, that they completed the tabernacle, and now the work has to start, and it's the priests, right? And so they come into their brand new, you know, office so to speak, you know, and, and you got the brand new desks and the chairs and the work starts to happen. Um, these are the stewards of the community. They're the people that are doing God's work on our behalf. And what must it have been like to be to be a Kohen, to be a priest in the tabernacle um, in the beginning when you're starting this work, when you are um, doing this work through the 40 years? Um, you know, it's more than just a civil servant. You're actually doing the people's work, but on behalf of God. And there's something remarkable and really um, nice to, to think about and reflect on that. And I don't know um, how that reflects on Bonjour Chai. I don't know if that resonates for either of you guys. Um, well, as a member of the priestly clan, as a Kohanim wow, I had itself, no idea you were a Kohen. Uh, David, you're holding I, back on us. Uh, you know what? At least that's what I've been told and passed down. My father always says, David, you're you're part of the Kohanim tribe, which which really leads me to question, what is my job in today's modern society if I belong to this priestly class? Well, you give everybody a blessing of the various holidays in synagogue, right? If, you know, you, you put... I your, bless you Yes, all. exactly. Um, there is the Birkat Kohanim, and you get the first aliyah all the time, right? If you are in services and you get an aliyah, you, you are entitled in some uh, congregations to the first um, aliyah, which is a really nice thing um, to think about. Um, but, you know, there's... The rabbis talk about three different classes of, uh, of leadership, right? And then they refer to them as keter, keter, right, a crown, right? And there's the crown of Torah, the crown of, uh, which is, you know, perceived as this crown of scholarship, of, of knowledge and learning. Uh, there's keter kehuna, right, the, the priesthood. Um, and that's really, in my mind, liturgy and holy work, 
right? And then there's Malchut, Keter Malchut, and that's uh, the kingship monarchy, which is political leadership. So really, if you think about it, the Jewish community has, and that's another source that came up yesterday um, in this session, um, was Rabbi Cook, um, who was the first chief rabbi of Israel, talked about the tension between the various branches of leadership and the various branches of of thinking of how to be a Jew, and those are always in tension with each other. Um, He didn't talk about these three, but I want to bring in these three and to say, you know, these three always have to remain in balance. And the priests nowadays are not necessarily the ones that are in charge of the priestly class, um, but they are um, they're not charge of the liturgical work. I would say that's often like pulpit rabbis or cantors and things like that. And then you have scholars, right, who are the thinkers, the rabbis that are doing the thinking and the, and the things along those lines. And then you have the political leadership, which is often the big establishment of the community, right? The, the heads of foundations and the heads of federations and the people that are, you know, government representatives and lobbyists and things like that. And the three really live in tension. We can't go and say that we cannot have any political leadership um, because we need pol- political leadership. You can't say that we have zero liturgical leadership um, because um, we are a religious people. We have religion as, as a basis there. And if that, that goes away, then that's a problem. And the same thing with scholarship. Um, and I'm, I'm not really sure where Bonjour Chai fits in at the intersection of those three. But I think that there's a conversation to be had about what that intersection actually is. Um, in our own personal lives and in our, you know, if we are leaders by virtue of having a voice and having a platform, um, where do we stand, you know, in the balance of these three things? I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of what you said earlier about becoming Jewish or what was the exact phrasing that you used, like when you're always working on it? To me, it's becoming, becoming right? There's the becoming. being Jewish and there's becoming. becoming. Yeah. So in some I mean, my language is a lot of other people have used this language. Sure. I won't hold you to it. <laughs> but, um, on a more no, I'm just note. trying to not take it seriously. Like it's, I don't want to own this. I didn't make yeah, this yeah. up. Got it. Got it. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say is I, I feel like on this show in particular, we are always asking more questions. And I think there have been many times where we've changed opinions and we've grown our perceptions of certain Jewish issues just in the last year. And so I think that is a big part of our quote unquote, becoming Jewish and continuing to challenge ourselves and each other on Jewish issues and values and events. And I think that fits in very nicely to that idea. Yeah. And I I think it is challenging a lot of the status quo itself and not really having any sacred cows to be able to willing to discuss things that other Jewish community centers are not willing to have discussions on, I think is a very healthy and important thing for the Jewish community, too. You know, it had a lot of sacred cows, right? The tabernacle had a lot of sacred cows. But you know what they did with them? How many sacred cows? How many sacred cows did they have, Avi? Thousands. That was what they sacrificed, because I was about to say next. You know what they did to sacred cows? They slaughtered them. (laughs) I have so many more questions about sacrificial uh, altars, too, but I feel feel we can save that for another day. Thankfully, next week is Parashat Vayikra, where we start the entire discussion around the sacrificial sacrificial system and all the uh, stuff that the priests were doing in the temple at that time. So we can hold off till next week for that one. Excellent. I look forward. I will I will ask as many questions as I can awesome. on that. So yeah, so that's our Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazak. We, we finish the book of Exodus. We finish our one-year anniversary, and we are ready to move into our a new book and a new chapter in Bonjour High Life. Now it's time for Nachas, where we talk about what's newish, Jewish, not so newish, not so Jewish in our lives that makes us feel good um, as Jews and Canadians. David, what's your Nachas this week? My Nachas goes to Volodymyr Oleksandrovich Zelensky, a former actor and comedian. I don't know if people have heard of him, but he is the president of Ukraine. I think he's every Jewish mother's dream come true. He not only studied law, he also won the Ukrainian equivalent of Dancing with the Stars. He's married for two decades with two children and, you know, the leader of a certain country as well, too. But all that is pittance compared to his beautiful rendition. I would say the icing on the cake when he played Hava Nagila on the piano, not with his hands, mind you, but with a certain um, appendage, I will say. If you haven't seen the video, go online, check it out. It is a beautiful, soul-wrenching rendition of Hava Nagila. Well, it's wrenching lots of other things, too, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) 
Alana, what's your nachas of the week? On a similar but different uh, note, my uh, nachas goes out to, in the words of David, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Elena Kovalskaya, the director of Moscow's, oh, I'm really shooting myself in the foot with this, <laughs> the se- I'm just going to spell it, V-S-E-V-O-L-O-D, Mayorhold State Theater and Cultural Center, resigned in protest of Russia's invasion in the Ukraine. And she shared a post on Facebook that said, friends in protest against Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I'm leaving my post as director of said theater. I'm not going to repeat it. Um, It's impossible to work for a murderer and collect a salary for him. And it's also important to note that there was uh, another theater, the Mayakovsky Theater in Moscow, that actually banned its actors from commenting on the Russian invasion at all and saying that any negative comments would be a betrayal. So it's pretty gutsy of her to take this stance. So yeah, shout out to theater people standing up for their values. Amazing. In hard times. I mean, to both of those. I have a completely lighthearted and completely opposite side of the spectrum. <laughs> Nachas, we need Great. to put some joy I'm into so this. Glad. Um, Purim is coming up. And, uh, you know, if you haven't yet submitted uh, a good Jewish joke to us, definitely send it to bonjour at the cjn.ca. We want to hear um, Canadian jokes, Jewish jokes, Canadian Jewish jokes. Um, Purim is coming up. We want to hear um, what is funny uh, to Jewish Canadians. But my because Purim is coming up, one of the things that I'd like to do when I give out Mishloach Manot these days is, is um, to make my own cocktail and to bottle it and uh, hand it out as part of the Mishloach Manot. This year's uh, cocktail um, was going to involve some vermouth, and it's very, very hard to find good kosher vermouth. Um, but thankfully, a Canadian is to the rescue, Anthony Rose, um, who wrote the cookbook The Last Schmaltz, who has uh, many restaurants in Toronto. Um, I don't, which restaurants have you guys ever eaten of his? Any any of them? I oh, have to hear the names. The, no, yeah. the Fat Pasha, nope. which is like the very Jewish deli, but also some Israeli stuff. Yeah. Anyway, he has a lot of restaurants. He has this cookbook called The Last Schmaltz, and it's this spin off the last waltz come on yeah oh no it's great i was just trying to let you yeah, go it's on good. it's way funnier than 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 any of the things that i say at the beginning of any you know episode <laughs> avi makes a joke and i think he's staring at both our faces which are like you know just static and he's like oh, oh did this land at all so um so he has a recipe in there for vermouth made from manischewitz right where you take uh, a bottle of manischewitz and you steep in it Whoa. all of these like herbs and spices and barks and roots and stuff like that that you would use to make a vermouth otherwise um and i've been using it for a while and last night i'm sitting there making batches and batches of manischewitz vermouth for my purim cocktail this year um and so a big shout out to funky canadian um real hero of mine even though i've never met him and i've never eaten at any of his restaurants because they are utterly trafe i still have a tremendous amount of respect for him and for the work that he's doing um, as a great canadian jew um, and a great canadian jewish foodie and all of the above so that's my nachas does your cocktail have a name uh it might it will you'll have to wait till purim to uh, find out about it maybe we'll have to come up with some names all right yeah the bonjour chai it's a chai-flavored chai. vermouth um, cocktail. Honestly, that sounds really no. good. Uh, chai and vermouth? I don't know. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week of March 4th. Parashat Pekudei. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Technical production is by Andre Goulet. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on the new page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour. And you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do leave a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice. And as always, you can email us with comments or anything is on your mind at bonjour at the cjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Sklar. 